0: Okay, so uh, on the back uh, counter, there's the uh, uh, cartoon, I don't know what you want to call it, comic synopsis, thank you. Comic meaning, not funny, but like comic in terms of cartoonish, like comics, like a comic book. Um, Oh, I forgot, I left mine... We're on the, yeah, Carol, could I just have one? I think it's on the lower left-hand corner. So, um, we're Mark chapter 1. I think we're going to start at verse 16, or at least that's what I planned on. So, we are in the left side, actually middle, not all the way to the bottom. So, Jesus has been baptized and um, has Preached i'm going assuming that he preached, if not it's only two verses but uh jesus brings god's kingdom, and then now he's going to have a honeymoon period. so the rest of chapter one is really a honeymoon period where the uh people are following him, people are um coming towards him, treating him you know like a, a someone who they expect to be healed with, so they have you know positive expectations. So, even in that so we're really on the left side of that little middle image there, um, chapter two is where things get dicey so um so that's it. I also put a uh just a like a little handout too. So we're going to really focus though on on discipleship right now. So Mark chapter one. 16 through 20, and then we'll just kind of do a little overview of discipleship so that as these uh, discipleship texts come along, we'll be able to kind of put them all together. So passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Okay, so um, we're going to make it real simple. Discipleship means following Jesus. So in the Gospel of Mark, well, once he preaches, he now immediately calls disciples. So these are like they're connected. Jesus being the teacher, preacher, uh the announcer of God's reign, and having followers. So I think last week, um, you know, I, I or not last week, last time I taught, you know, I used Aslan the lion from Chronicles of Narnia as a so a lion has to have his pride. So he he's got this he's got this group with him. And that's really important for us because in the Gospel of Mark and really all the Gospels, Jesus is Never really by himself. And there's never a time a disciples by himself. So, discipleship is always done following Jesus, but always done together. Okay, so, um, yeah, so there's no Jesus as Savior without discipleship. So, you can't believe in Jesus and not follow him. Seems kind of simple but uh we'll see what how that gets played out in the gospel of mark so um i think i might have mentioned a couple weeks ago inside the gospel of mark there isn't a long resurrection account so that and and the disciples never get jesus so as we find out in the first 8 chapters of mark we'll see um the disciples not really quite understanding jesus especially after his feeding of the 5000 um but the one thing that the disciples always do are they always follow Jesus. I mean, they're always with Jesus. So that's really important for us as we kind of think about our own discipleship and then how people are around us. The idea is, is that the most important part of discipleship is, is like sticking with it, okay? And that's the great sadness at the end of the gospel or the great tragedy when Jesus is arrested. Now, thank goodness Jesus already knows that, and he, already, he says that to the disciples. Hey, you're going you're gonna to flee. And they're all like, no way, we're going to do it. Um, so, what's interesting is, even though the disciples continually don't understand, when I say the disciples, the 12 apostles, they continually don't understand it, Jesus continually urges them and encourages them to stay with him and And so that's that's really important, because I think a lot of us sometimes feel a great sense of guilt for for not uh saying our prayers or not making it to church enough. Um, jesus never gives up on his disciples throughout the gospel of mark, so with that said, then, as we talk about discipleship, the main person we want to focus upon is jesus so I know we'll be talking about disciples, but we always have to think about Jesus in this. And in the Gospel of Mark, the first eight chapters are primarily about who Jesus is. We... Right, that's on here, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, right, there we go. Act 1, Galilee, who is Jesus? The thing is, though, within finding out who Jesus is, we do get a little insight into who the disciples are. Then, and this, was, this happened in the last week's Gospel lesson for um church mark chapter 8 so okay so mark chapter 1 16 we also have this in and when Jesus calls Matthew but Jesus says follow me and then they follow him it's like bam automatic but if we if we turn to mark chapter 8 um verse 31 that's that's the hint i think it says in here right well, it starts, okay, so 827 is when he has this, or the, the chart, but it's, it's, so Peter confesses who Jesus is, has this great, ultimate, hey, who is the disciple? The one who confesses Jesus as the Christ. So, you're like, hey, they get it. Peter gets it. But, of course, not really, not completely. So then, it's starting at verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So, of course, there's a great tragedy here, is that Peter tries to be the teacher. He tries to be the rabbi. He tries to put Jesus behind him. So, that's a hinge event in the Gospel of Mark because now Jesus, is, Jesus reorders it and says, get behind me, Satan. So now in this moment, the rest of the, the gospel, we have this now change where, what, what is these 12 guys going to look like? And, and then that's when he says, he calls all everyone together in verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So that's really important for us. In Mark chapter 1, he calls these individual apostles to follow him. That is the inner ring of the disciples. And those are the ones who are going to be the pastors. But now in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it is the entire, for lack of a better term, the entire church. So the, now the church is around Jesus listening to what it means to well, to follow him so this is actually the concept, their journey to follow Jesus. uh well it would be mainly peter's so peter's you know remember the gospel of mark is mainly peter's retelling and this actually we'll get into this a, a little bit is that so peter is is pastoring in rome and rome is a place very hostile to christians So Peter is telling this story about what does it mean to follow Jesus in the midst of a a group of people who are wondering, um, you know, what is life really like? Because we're going to get arrested and killed. So it's really about how does Jesus encourage discipleship in that milieu? We'll see that. Well, we see this right here. So then he, then, so Jesus then says to everybody, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we have the same words, follow me, um, follow me. So we have these two calls of discipleship. And in between them is, you know, what does Jesus look like? Who is Jesus? So when you get to this point in the Gospel of Mark, as you're, as you're listening to the whole thing, You're 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 wondering is is this Jesus the one? Of course, by this point in the Gospel Mark, we should say yes because he's the one who heals diseases, he forgives sins, he um, raises the dead. Uh, There might be a couple things I've written down, but I can't remember. But those are good enough. You know, forgive sins, raises the dead, heals diseases. Oh, casts out demons so he's he's really so at this point then we're really left with this oh yeah this is probably the guy so of course though then what it means to follow Jesus in chapter 1 is where the disciples they drop everything right he he's walking along the seaside and now of course is this story this story is is really a miracle another miracle of Jesus I mean for a variety of reasons um, they just they leave all livelihood. they just drop everything and follow jesus i mean that 's a miracle and so obedience is a miracle in the gospel mark okay that 's something where it 's jesus 's calling god 's grace that is this the the this, the, the uh, engine behind or the power behind obedience um Okay, but the thing is, though, once they drop everything, they are, in, they are embodying what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8 in verse 35. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? You know, these, are, these are rhetorical questions is the response to that, by the way. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Uh, soul can also be translated as life or self. The Greek word is uh, like psyche, or where we get the front word of psychology, but it's not mind. Psychology always deals with the mind, but this word is soul. And We don't want to think in terms of um, the spiritual part of our life. Soul is, in a inclusive term, of body and spirit. In the Gospel Mark, that might be too nerdy to know, but anyways, um, soul means like self or your whole life. So what's the what's the thing that you can re- give in, in in exchange for your life? There's only one answer. Your life. I mean, it's got to be equal. <laughs> so. Your life for a life. Which means taking up your cross and following Jesus. So that's a rhetorical question that Jesus asks. Some could say nothing, but that's actually not true. Well, that's, no, uh, it is, but you are not the determiner of your life. And that's the hardest part. Because if Jesus is the determiner of your life then your decisions aren't driven by yourself but by Christ. Christ is the leader in the Gospel of Mark. But of course in the Gospel of Mark Jesus telling you what to do is not a sign of uh, authoritative or tyrannical uh, dictatorship but it's precisely setting free. Being free, set free. So um, that's important for us because when Jesus asks, "What can a man give in return for his soul?" the answer is not nothing, but it's your, yourself. I mean, your, yourself. But of course, who's the one who gives himself up for his? So who's the one who actually gives himself in the Gospel of Mark? Jesus. <laughs> So when Jesus is saying that, or when Jesus is saying that for the disciples, he's saying, that me, me my life is your life. Krista. But when we die, our soul goes to heaven. Um, okay, so hang on, though. So, Krista, you're bringing up a, uh, a word issue in the Gospel of Mark. So, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will use the term spirit. Gospel of Mark will use the term soul. However, in the Gospel of Matthew, when soul is used, he's making reference to a more holistic understanding. The same with Mark. So soul, according to the Greeks, is this kind of non-bodily life. And so that's why the Greeks will say, your soul goes to, to wherever, and your body just goes into the ground. And so you have the separation. So you have this immortality of the soul, and that's what really is most important, which it was a Christian heresy in the early church called Manichaeism. So when Jesus is using the word soul here, he's talking about your whole life, your body and spirit, your embodied spirit. And um, we see that again in the gospel of, I'm sorry, in First Corinthians 15 in, in this resurrection account, where Paul will talk about putting off the the perishable, putting on the imperishable, and having spiritual bodies, which are not disembodied spirits, but are spiritual bodies that are saturated with the Holy Spirit. They're physical realities, just like Jesus in the resurrection. So, Krista, when you talk about your souls going to heaven, this is a mystery that too many of us assume we understand. Because Paul will talk about being in the presence of God, but at the same time, sleeping. So you have this kind of paradoxical reality, which is hard for us to kind of grasp. And the, way I, the easiest way for me to talk about it is, you look at it from God's view and our view. So from God's view, he sees all time happening. Like he can see the, the whole picture So a death that happened 200 years ago and a death that happened yesterday, from God's perspective, as they come into his presence, it's it's like him receiving them at at the quote-unquote same time. But from our perspective, it's very different, right? And that's where the notion of sleep is very helpful for us, that Paul talks about falling asleep, and this is how I talk to my children about death when they see the body in the coffin, He's sleeping in the Lord. He's sleeping in Jesus. Jesus will come and wake him up. And that's precisely what happens in the, in the Gospels is when Jesus, he, we see that in um, the, the resurrection stories where um, Jesus says, she's just sleeping. Well, we assume then those people around them are not, they don't have doctoral degrees, right? They're not doctors and they just misdiagnose the, the, dead, the, the child um no that's not true she's dead but jesus is raises her from the dead and when jesus takes her by the hand and raises her same with simon peter's uh mother-in-law it's the re- it's the same word it's resurrection word so when jesus when we when paul talks about falling asleep and ro- you know waking up again that's a resurrection way of understanding it so that's helpful for us so these are two realities that are hap- that are true. We're with Jesus when we die, but we've fallen asleep waiting for Jesus to wake us up. <laughs> All right. So, but anyways, but but, but back to the uh, Mark chapter eight though, is that when um, the man is so you know these questions about what does a prophet to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Again, those are that that's a real question. Because he 's saying, "Is there something more important than your life that's that's man made and if you say yes to that then you've, you've, you've actually reduced your life to less than what God has made it because God didn't die for material things he died for you isn't that a that's, uh, well, yes and no. It can be understood that way. Um, On the negative side. Yes, that's right. You know, you make a deal with the devil. Exchange. He gave up his life. Right. Or, you know. Yep. So, but that's the thing, though, is that when Jesus says, you're going to take up, take up your cross and follow me, you're, you're actually then receiving Jesus' life, which is more... More than just a, a purely carnal life or material life. also out the weaknesses Oh, yeah. Okay, great. So this is where, this is why this is an a possible answer or a question to answer. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So what you'll find out then, because when we take up the cross and follow Jesus, um, this is not a cross different from Jesus's cross. Like we don't we don't take up our own individual one because then that would then accentuate the our problems. But when we take up Jesus's cross, then um, then the same thing that happens to Jesus on the cross happens to us, and then what happens in the the grave with Jesus happens to us. So it is a a uh, an extreme a radical understanding of our life that will include suffering and hardship and struggle, but at the same time, great vindication and hope. Because remember, people who are, who are reading this story or listening to this story you know, already know Jesus rose from the dead. So to remain faithful, you have an expectation of being vindicated. Like God will then say, welcome, good and faithful servant. But at the same time, you know, that provides great hope for us to to endure what's happening. And that's precisely what's happening to the original listeners. They have to have some hope because, you know, they're going to be, you know, eaten alive by animals in the Colosseum, so. Okay, um... All right, that's a little bit of a tangent. Let's get back on track here. Um, all right, so yeah, so the you know there's not a long resurrection account. Disciples don't get it, but Jesus still says to the women at the uh, tomb, "Go tell the twelve, including Peter, go to Galilee, and there uh, they will see me." So there's this constant following even within the resurrection. Jesus is already ahead of them. Um, now, the, the important thing about the Gospel of Mark, this goes to what I said earlier, rather than trying to convince unbelievers, Jesus' story is told for a Christian community struggling to find out what Jesus, following Jesus means now for their lives. And what does it mean when we see the 12 don't get it? Being a Christian is hard. Take someone who's strong, courageous, and full of integrity. Jesus takes Jesus. Okay. What does it mean to, to not have a long resurrection account? Christianity is first about life before death. And seconds about life after death. And that's important. So the Gospel of Mark, and that's why we don't have a nativity story, because these people, they enter the church by baptism. So the first thing that we have in Mark is baptism. So they're trying to figure out their life now. Something I try to do every day. Figure out my life. Um, all right, so there's no Jesus without his disciples. I already mentioned that. Oh, a little, I, I thought I took that out. Um, Mark one fourteen through fifteen. You don't have to turn back to it, but it, that's uh, the preaching. And then there's this and it's Kai in, in Greek, but um, there's an and it's a conjunction. It's like one big long sentence: the preaching of Jesus and the calling of the disciples. It's this really odd Greek language thing. Oh, okay, well then also, okay, now we have authentic human identities found only in discipleship, which goes back to what we had just said, is that when you uh, lose your life, you save it. Because you actually are, are making no claims on who you are, which is antithetical towards our current culture. I mean, I always, in fact, my kids watched Mulan 2 last night, I think it was. And Audrey knows exactly when these things are said that they, she can expect a smart aleck remark from my from her father. So Mulan is, is really, uh, I can't remember the phrase, but it's something about, like, she has to stay true to her heart. Greater than the duty of, I don't know, the Chinese empire or something. But she has to listen to her heart. And then I look at Audrey and I say, well, what if your heart tells you to to, to punch your brother? Which has happened quite often. <laughs> yeah. She's like, listen to it. I was just like, no! Um, <laughs> yes, so uh, the the idea that you're just going to kind of make yourself and then the world just has to, like, bend towards that identity, the notion of a self-made person is, is not according to Jesus. Jesus actually says the opposite, is that when you follow him, you're no longer laying any claim to yourself. Now, it's not self-hatred, though, or self-denial. It's a reordering or re-understanding of who you are Which, on a certain level, is common sense. How many of you willed yourself into existence? Nobody. You can't will yourself into existence. So already, you are are at the mercy of, of something else or someone else. There would be no you unless someone else decided. Okay. So even that basic premise means something for your identity. And in older cultures, they accepted that. Of course, in Christianity, it, this is true. This is how we understand ourselves. We are children of God. John chapter 1 is a very explicit. Children not born of the will of man, but by by the, the Father. Or God. Or Father. I can't remember. It's in John chapter 1. Just... Look it up some other time. Okay, but the whole point, though, is, is that then if God is the one behind your creation or existence, then he, then he has a say in who you are. And the more you explore what he says about who you are, you realize he actually knows what he's talking about. And I don't. Um, and so that's Jesus' is making this claim then is that you can't get through life without following me. And in following me, then you will see who you are. Now, of course, in Mark chapter 8, the cross is the thing that defines who you are. And in the Gospel of Mark, there are only two places where we find out who Jesus is fully. Mark chapter 1.1, one, one, and then Mark 15 in the Roman centurion. Yeah, so yeah, so Donna just said the baptism. Mark the the prologue or the first part of of Mark, Mark one one, then we hear it reiterated by the Heavenly Father, my beloved Son, and then also Mark chapter nine at the Transfiguration. But in terms of identity by humanity, it's Mark fifteen at the crucifixion. So humanity doesn't know who Jesus is fully until he dies. And, of course, then you don't fully understand who you are until you're giving yourself up. You're dying to yourself. And in Mark, I'm moving very quickly, but um, in the Gospel of Mark, that sacrifice is understood precisely as love. So we live each day giving ourselves up to others, but that's when you find out who you are. So, so man doesn't know who you who 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 he is, or women doesn't know who she is until she's giving herself up, or man's giving himself up. So, authentic human identity is found only in discipleship. That's that's what that means. All right. So, um, in Mark chapter one, I think we're done with Mark eight. So we can we can go back to Mark chapter one. Yeah. Feel free to ask any questions. Cause I just, I'm like, I just keep rolling. But the, the disciples they um, knew uh, in a certain way where, where Jesus was um, uh, from the Old Testament. You know, when when Jesus was uh, talk, uh, walking with a, with a, um, a, a man from uh, a male, You know, when they had right. Uh, and he said um, they were wondering and. Uh, um, if this is the one of old, yeah. Yeah, Jesus, said don't you know? Don't you know? You've read the, all this stuff. Yeah. yeah, well, see, in the Gospel of Mark, obviously there's no Emmaus story. But in the Gospel of Mark, though, their understanding of the Old Testament is a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. So in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples, and especially in the first eight chapters, it kind of makes sense. But they are really expecting Jesus to go to Jerusalem to, to uh, Lake... To, to be victorious, and Jesus says, "Yeah, we're you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna win," and they're thinking, "Great, of course we're gonna win because he's he he's healing all diseases, he's um, uh, he's um, uh, kicking butt with demons, and then he's showing he has a greater authority than the scribes and the chief priests and the Pharisees." Exactly. So all these signs of Messiah are happening in the first eight chapters. And then when the first announcement of his death and resurrection, that's why you get Peter's strong response. And the, the 12, they're like, have you just not been with us for the last, you know, year and a half, Jesus? That's not how it's going to end up. You're going to go to Jerusalem, and you're going to be made king, not of a, just of Israel, but of the whole world. Which, of course, is a direct fight against um, the emperor, of of uh, Rome, so um, so they they should understand more, but they don't not until they're enlightened. Which of course, like the road of to Emmaus, isn't until after the resurrection, and more specifically until the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. So, yeah, Donna. It must have been a real comfort to the disciples. You know that uh, that Jesus was counting them, you know, his disciples. he so was really counting them around, and in many Sure. Uh, like, Getting the donkey and all stuff. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right. And, uh, and there was a comfort that he was leading them to this specific kingdom that they were in the Right. So no wonder you know, they were dashed. Yeah, right, exactly. So all their hopes are, yeah, were, yeah, were dashed, that's right. But again, this is all part of discipleship, and and again, continually giving up everything for to, to Jesus, including you know your dreams and your hopes. The uh, but you know for the call of discipleship in Mark chapter one, these are just kind of basic things. But you know the call is always initiated by Jesus. In Mark five eighteen, you have um, I think this is the guy from Decapolis. Um, actually, I said five. Yeah, okay, right. So, and he was getting into the boat. The man who had been passed, possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how, how he has mercy on you. So, the the call of discipleship is always, and when we say discipleship, following Jesus. So, of course, this guy that's demon-possessed um, Eventually did become part of the church just just not right there, because we have a story um anyways um it, it's always initiated by Jesus, and it's kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. you know Jesus is walking along and he's like, "Hey, follow me um now the important thing too in the discipleship narratives are in the stories is it always demands a response it's always a yes, and when a yes it means full blow full blown um And a no, like Mark chapter 10, 21, which can be changed into a yes, but um, it's it's either or. And Jesus says that to the man, right? You lack one thing, sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor and follow me. Um, So there's no neutral going on here, which is kind of hard to kind of get because the disciples, in spite of them immediately following Jesus, they're slowly learning how what that means, and so that's important for us because I, you know in this I mentioned this in the sermon. There's this sense that Jesus counts your desires, and we see this in Mark chapter nine, verse twenty-four. I don't know if I mentioned this. Um, Mark chapter nine, 24. So so you have a, a boy with a a father who has a son with an unclean spirit, and the disciples are trying to cast out the the, the unclean spirit, they can't. Jesus gets upset, he's like, you know, what in the world's going on here? Um and uh the father says um to Jesus in verse twenty two, you know, it's it's often cast him into fire, into water to destroy them, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, make a command. All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father or the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. So th- that's a great instructive uh, point in the Gospels, is that just like the disciples, they, they, uh, they immediately follow Jesus, and they believe, but at the same time, there is this uh, expansion of belief and the driving out of unbelief that happens throughout the the rest of it which for me then is really instructive in my own christian faith is that there's never a point where like i'm not i'm not learning or i'm not following is that um so you in life there's times where your your new learning is very exciting and it's it's you know you're on fire and then there's parts where it's not seems kind of static, but in the mark mark is really important for us because you got to still keep up with Jesus, and because you might feel static in your life, I mean uh, you know just kind of blah in your faith you got to remember Jesus is still moving, so you, you can 't just like you just can 't sit still, and that 's why you know the image of the line is really important for us. Uh, Aslan again, and I think it's in the last book. He's telling um, someone, and I can't remember who it is, but there's a great scene where, I think it's almost like at the very end, where he's like, let's follow me, follow me, Come, uh, come farther up and further in or something like that. And they're like, well, who can keep up with this guy? And that's like Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. He's always moving, and so what, what Satan will try to do is that when you have these periods of um, kind of, you know, blindness in your faith, he'll get you just to, to start thinking about that. And as you start thinking about that, Jesus is still moving on. So the Gospel of Mark is really instructive. Is like, you've got to keep going. And so you have to keep on um, saying your prayers, reading your scripture, receiving the sacraments, hearing the preached word, because those are the times where things are are kind of growing in you in a way that you might not see it. But it's the actions themselves that are informing your faith. So that's, like, the disciples are great because there's this period where they're like, ah, this is so great. Oh, Jesus... Even the demons listen to us with your name. After he sends them out, they come back, and they're great. And he's like, oh, this is so great. You know, they're so great. But then, you know, within the next that same chapter, they're confused about the feeding of the 4,000. You know, they're like, what? So um, you got to keep going and, and understand that God is still at work teaching you, and your faith is still growing because Jesus is always moving. Okay. Um, and then this is probably the hardest part requires abandonment of all previous commitments. We already kind of talked about that is um, that when you deny yourself, you're giving up, you're abandoning your this this notion that I'm going to just kind of dictate my life. Oh, this is the great part too, intimacy. So discipleship I uh, call discipleship is to intimacy. In the Gospel of Mark, there is no tangential relationships. It is all about Jesus. Um, yeah, actually. Meaning, like, there's no other relationship that's going to compete with your relationship with Jesus. Um, here, let's just turn to this here. Um, so I, yeah, so, and okay, so verse 14, 26 through 29. Um, this is Jesus's response. He's, he's announcing that they're going to deny him. And when they all had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I shall strike the shepherd and the sheep shall be, will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. So he's making this confession that, hey, you're number one in my life. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So what's interesting is that Jesus Jesus is telling them this because he's dying for them, obviously for the whole world, But he's announcing to them, you're the most important people. You're the reason why I'm doing this. And even though you're going to reject me, um, I'm still doing this. And then Peter, of course, is offended. He's like, I, I love you just the way you love me. And, of course, that's not true. But at the same time, it is true. He is on his way following Jesus. He's tr- he's she's trying his best. Of course it's not good enough cuz we we're, we're we we are we can not do that. But that doesn't stop Jesus from from loving us. So Jesus is honed in. He is so this it also has to do with this the Jesus always being in a hurry. In the Gospel of Mark, he, he's he's really getting to this point where he's going to love them to the end. He's so there is no tangential relationship to Jesus. It's you. You are it. And then in return, we say that to Jesus. Okay. Um, All right, so and then a lot of this. Oh, yeah, okay, great. So um, the 12 disciples don't get it all the time. This involves human weakness and the confession that there's still much that the disciples do not understand, that you're always learning. Okay, following Jesus is not a once-for-all decision event. It's a constant struggle to stretch the mind and enlarge the vision of what God is about in the world and in your life. Um yeah. So, in the small catechism in the baptismal section, Marilyn, you know I'm going to ask you because <laughs> um, how many so when do you need to remember your baptism? Every day, right? Daily, the old Adam needs to drown so that the new man rises again. um And so that is this is that's the reality, right? So uh, we've been baptized, we've been welcomed, we've been called into Christ's family. We've been called into dying to ourselves because that's already happened in baptism. You've you died a, a a death like Christ, so you might rise to live like Christ. So every day we are remembering our what happens in baptism as a means to then live this Jesus life, this crucified life. Um, so there's no rest for the weary. And because of that, then Jesus has highest expectations. He expects us to follow him always. Um But the reality though, is that um the disciples continue to fail in that, but that doesn't mean Jesus fails on them, so there is this constant you know struggle between the desires and their actions, and all right um disciples are servants of their fellow man that's 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 kind of okay um. Oh, yeah, so just these are just show this shows how they don 't quite get it, so disciples are servants of their fellow man, but then they're also concerned about their own prestige and positions. Their disciples are expected to be filled with love and compassion, but they refuse children, they try to silence a blind man I mean we kind of read those texts really fast, and we don't think about it, but you know um. Well, we'll talk about that later. Disciples are expected to be faithful, but of course they're they're faithless sometimes. All right, so great. So so the Gospel of Mark, discipleship and failure are not mutually exclusive. Just like belief and unbelief does not discount anybody. All right? So, although discipleship is initiated by God and demands a radical response, it does not eliminate the ambiguity of life. Thank goodness. A disciple lives in faith and doubt at the same time. This is important for you because when the disciples in Mark chapter 1 say, or don't say anything, they just drop their nets and follow Jesus, um, their failures is a, are signs of how their past still kind of spills up into the present, and that's how we are too. Like we've 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 uh, repented, right? We've repented of our sins, and we've we've made this desire of following Jesus, and that's what we want to do. But then these past sins or these past things in our our life still have some sort of like control over us, and um but the great thing about jesus in the gospel of mark is that it's this constant struggle and jesus does have eventually the last word at the very end of the gospel so um so yeah discipleship doesn't guarantee protection from the sinfulness of the past we're continually every day getting up drowning the old adam and following jesus and so that could be a cause of despair for a lot of people. Like, why can't I get over this? Or, why doesn't this thing just go away? I I don't know. Um, I don't know why that that doesn't go away. I don't know why you can't you can't let things go. Um, but remember, you gotta you gotta keep you gotta stay up with the you gotta you gotta stay with Jesus. You gotta keep going. Um, and that's important though, because Jesus doesn't doesn't discard you if you make continue to keep making the same sins. Um, Jesus always takes you as you are. Uh, yeah, which I think is good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, all right. Discipleship doesn't require a person to be wholly new to begin his service. That, that's that's really obvious. Um, that goes back to what Donna has just said, you know, Jesus is kind of counting on us. Not counting on us as if, you know, he couldn't do it without us, but counting on us as, as um, hey, I'm going to give you this job to do. And I, I know you can do it. And so, um, part of us doing that then, like, for instance, like, you know, when God calls us to do something, we feel like it's just impossible. There's no way I can do that. Um, but you just say, yes, Lord. And, and you start following Jesus and, and you realize that God actually gives you the ability to do it. And once you're, you know, once you're in the midst of struggle, if you have a time of self-awareness, you say, holy smokes, I'm, we're doing this. We're going to make this, we're, this is going to work. Um, the other t- thing too, though, is, is that, um. I see this a lot with loss. Like, how can life move on when I've lost something so dear? Or like, I feel like something that defines me. So like a loved one. Or or a job. Or whatever. Jesus' Jesus's call of discipleship uh, can encompass that loss into the, the continual movement forward. Um, yeah, because that's what happens in the resurrection, right? I mean, Jesus is dead. The disciples have lost the most important person in their lives, and they can't imagine life going on. But Jesus says to them, through a man in the tomb and, so, and, and three women you're not done yet, you have to keep going, you have to go to Galilee, and then you'll see me. And so, again, we think, think about that, it's a three-day journey from Jerusalem to Galilee. So think about that three-day journey. I mean, the notion that, A, you're going to take a step because you feel, I mean, grief can overwhelm you, so you don't do anything. And then, but you, you, you take one step at a time, and I'm sure on that morning of that third day, when they're really close to Galilee, if they had any kind of self, self, you know, uh, you know, reference about like, holy smokes, two days ago I didn't think I could move, and now I'm almost here. I mean, that is that is the that's encouragement. Of course, they didn't make that journey by themselves; they did it together. And I have a feeling it was Peter who said, well, you kind of get that in the other Gospels. I'm going fishing. Right, Peter says, I'm going fishing. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm going fishing. So, okay. Um, yeah, so, okay. So, yeah, the new way of life is the ideal, but discipleship is the present reality, even for those who carry their baggage with them. Eventually sure that baggage will be removed. Okay. Uh, disciples are human personalities, which is great. They're real people. Um, and we already talked about this. Discipleship is never done in private. It's always done in community. So we're all in it together. And if you feel like you're alone, you know, talk to a pastor, talk to one of us, you know, talk to, to people. Because you're not. Um, now, the great thing about discipleship in the gospel of Mark, it's not all negative. <laughs> and we will... I know. So we're going to actually, if you're in Mark chapter 1, stay there. But if you're not, go back to Mark chapter 1. We'll just do, we'll finish up Mark chapter 1 and, so that Pastor Bukes can do Mark chapter 2. Um, so it's not all negative. There's minor characters who aren't demons or family, Pharisees, or whatever. They get it right. So there's a whole list of them right there. But Simon's mother in law and the leper, these are the ones in the uh, Gospel of Mark or uh, in chapter 1. Uh, women in the Gospel, Mark, are very important. Um, Simon's mother-in-law is uh, healed. Jesus raises her up, and then she begins to serve. That word for serve is already echoed. So she does the things of angels, because in the, in the wilderness, angels serve Jesus. Now, so you have Simon's mother-in-law serving Jesus the next place where that word is used again is when Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, I did not come to be served, but to serve. So you already have a foreshadowing of um, what it means to, to be a disciple in, in Simon's mother-in-law. So she gets it. At first it looks like, ah, she's just regulated back to the kitchen to, to kind of do what women did. That's not that's not the case. It's way more to that, is that now she's doing the things of angels and mimicking Jesus. And you'll get that later on too in chapter fifteen or sixteen. I can't remember if it's in reference to the women who go to the cross or the women who go to the tomb. They were the ones who served. So I mean. Great. Alright, uh lep, the leper in one hundred forty five. Um. Yeah, this is kind of an odd text. Hmm. i got a couple minutes here. You know, before we do that one, let's just real quick. So uh the D or so uh you could you got uh the, the um in 21 through 28, Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit, which is interesting about this unclean spirit is that they, uh, they try to exorcise the exorcists. So the demons, uh, tr- they try to call Jesus by name to gain control over him. But Jesus, it's interesting, he's like, he does just, he's like, whatever. And what's interesting in verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent it's actually like uh, be muzzled, like he's treating them like animals. And when the, the spirit comes out of the young man, it's like they're ripping his flesh apart. That's what it looks like. It's like dogs eating a, a thing. So animalistic. You know, I'm going to finish on time because there's a bunch of kids downstairs. Uh, you know, so we'll just go to chapter 2, and you might hear more about chapter 1 later. So let's pray.